Hi, everybody. Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation, on the Land of Israel Network. The waning days of January, Monday, January 29th, 2024, and the, t- the beginning of the 20th day of Shvat, 5784. Very rainy week here in the Land of Israel. Not complaining. We pray for rain. We love when the rain comes. Even if we're outside, as I was today, well, I was kind of inside, I went to Tekoa with some relatives and some friends to help the farmers. We have a major issue here in Israel for a few reasons. One is that a lot of the regular farmers have been called up into the army. Some of the foreign workers, like the Thai workers, left the country, although some of them have come back. One of them said to me, actually, today, he goes, you know, Thailand in peacetime is not any better than Israel at war. So we came back. So I was like, okay, they get treated really nicely here. They get paid well. I was really happy to hear that and to see him back again. Um, So I, even though it was a mushroom farm, I ended up sorting broccoli for like four hours. So if you're in Israel and you're buying broccoli in the next week, there's a very good chance that I packed it for you. It's really nice broccoli. But really, it's one of the things that we're doing here. People are coming to Israel all the time to volunteer. It's making a difference. It's really, really helping. So we started the day um, on a good foot with that. The rest of my week, Ups and downs. On Friday, I paid a condolence call to um, to one of my neighbors whose son, there were 21 soldiers that were killed in one day last week, as I'm sure you all remember. And his son was the tank driver of that horrible incident. Uh, he was killed by a piece of shrapnel to his brainstem. Um, and that that was all it took. But what was incredible about this condolence call, what we call a shiva call, is that um, you, call, you think you're coming, and I make this mistake all the time. You think you're coming to help the people and to you know sh- try and share in their sadness, and you come out strengthened. So he told us that um, his son was in the tanks, and he told us that tank commanders from the 67 war and the 73 war came to visit him. These guys are unbelievable. They were talking about the soldiers of today are like the soldiers of 1948 of the War of Independence, where they you know, because... We really feel like this is a very just and moral war and how they're fighting is just something unbelievable. But they said to him, they said, listen, your son was in tanks and the tanks are the tank people are our family and we will be, be with you for whatever it is that you need in your grief and whatever you need. And then he was also telling us how some of the soldiers who served with his son came and the commanders came. And he said to them, listen, the families of the soldiers that have fallen are going to be grieving until our last breath. You need to fight this war and you need to concentrate on this war. We are here for you. You go out there, you push the grief aside for now. We are okay. And you have to go and rid the world of this evil scourge. And that is just, uh, I'm not doing it justice just to be there and listen to this newly bereaved father who you can see is racked with grief, strengthening the people around us because it's an us. They said the families are hurting, but there's an us here. There's a nation here. It is doing something that's incredibly important, not just for the world, for the name of God, and for, you know, not just for us, for the world, and for the name of God. And it, it, I, it's, you should never, I should, we should never have to pay a condolence call like that. I should never have to do it again. But I'm just trying to find the words to explain um, how special the people here are. And with everything that's happening, what a crazy privilege it is to be here now. Um, and so we, on that note, I have with me tonight a very old friend, Avi Zimmerman. I asked him to use the picture for the show tonight from like try and take it from 10 years ago. So he got it. Um, Avi is currently the CEO of Sector 4 Strategy and the author of the newly released bestseller, Kosher Giving. So Avi, thank you for so much for joining me on Rejuvenation tonight. Thank you, Eve, for hosting me. This is really an opportunity. 
it's been like, you know, it's true. We know each other for a long, long time. But to actually be on the Eve Harrow program, that's a, <laughs> that is a special opportunity. If, you know, if, throw yes. back for a second. Remember when mm. we set up the uh, short-lived Judan Samaria Chamber of Commerce? Excuse me. I Chamber do. of Commerce is still alive and well. I mean, the Judan Speakers Samaria Bureau. Speakers Bureau. I right? remember that. Conversation. I was getting, I was just at the car shop doing something to make sure that I could breathe some life into an old car. And um, Eve calls, and of course, if Eve calls, so you listen, right? And we had this whole conversation. Oh, of course. This, this speakers bureau, but um, but really, to be on the Eve Harrow program is quite an opportunity. So thank you very much. Well, you can share my frustrations, and that so many of the things that we said for thirty years sadly came true. Well, unfortunately, and and I also want to thank you. Um, and I guess I'm just from the listener's perspective, just happens to be on your program right now, thanking you for keeping everybody connected. Um, even with the opening and the experiences, the day-to-day experiences, of course, Eve um, is in so many ways an expression of what everyone's going through. But it's also because you roll up your sleeves and you get involved and you go to the, unfortunately, the, the, what's needed to be done if it's a Shiva house, a condolence house. And of course, you know, going volunteering with the farmers. Um, so thank you for all you do, you know, on camera, off camera, on podcast, off pad- podcast, and for keeping everybody connected. I have no choice. I have no choice. It's the only reason to get up in the morning sometimes. Yeah. Well, well, that's what it is. So we've all been asking ourselves since the beginning of the war, um, what's my role? What am I going to do? And how am I going to contribute? Because the sense of I need to do something, and this is true for the people in Israel, and this is true for the people abroad. Everybody who cares, everybody wants to just mend what's broken, and so much is broken. Um, We're all asking ourselves what we can do. And that's actually what happened with, with our team. You mentioned. This, uh, this strategy company, you know, I've done a lot of work in Judea and Samaria over the years. I continue yeah. to do so. I'm sitting here in my office in the city of Ariel. Um, and there's a lot that needs to be done here, but there's also a lot that needs to be done specifically in response to the war. And so our team at Sector 4 Strategy and I, we put our heads together and said it was right at the beginning of the war. And we said, OK, what are we going to do? You know, we run this uh, advisory firm where we support businesses and some government entities, but really we focus on nonprofit and on services for philanthropists, for donors. And we saw at the very, very beginning, it was it was Monday, so this was two days into the war, and we saw what was about to happen. There was a surge in needs, unlike basically what we've never seen in Israel before and should never have to right. see again. And at the same time, there was this very, very welcome generosity, this sharp increase in giving to Israel and giving to the need. And there was a third kind of piece to this. I speak about these three pillars in the book. There's this third piece, which is the social activism. Um, I call them in the book, the impact agents, the people who want to make things better by rolling up their sleeves, just like you were doing earlier in the week. And all of these things are happening at the same time. And there's this just it's just so alive. And at the same time, it's not always getting fixed. Effective. Yes. It's not coming together. I refer to it being as misaligned. It's not all mm-hmm. coming into sync. And it's it's a lot to ask for it all to come into sync uh, at once or, or in some sort of uh, very coherent way. But these kind of fault lines that already exist in the world of philanthropy, giving, fundraising, all of that, they're already there. So 
they don't go away when the needs are in crisis mode. They actually exacerbate. So there are ways to to remedy that, and there's ways to kind of wait it out. And, but ultimately, there's there's a lot of fixing that needs to go on in this effort to fix. Okay, we can fix better. We can give better. That's basically the idea. And so the team came together, and immediately we um, we said, okay, we're going to do something. And there were all kinds of ideas. Just you know, run out to the fields, literally, and tell everybody literally. what's the most pressing pro- project. Just tell everybody about a project. Well, I don't know. We can't know what the most pressing project is, and we can't be everywhere at once. So how are we going to do this? And there were some efforts out there to do these hierarchies and and how to kind of you know, prioritize one thing over another, but you again, you just can't be everywhere at the same time. So we took a more modest approach. We said, we're going to start looking at projects, causes, one by one. We're going to mm-hmm. vet them. We're going to look at them to the lens of what's kosher. And kosher, not to say that, um, you know, we're not distinguishing between, let's say, bad guys and good guys. We're not talking right. about people that are, heaven forbid, trying to rip you off. That's not the issue. Right. The issue is what happens when the people with the best intentions, but they may not be experienced in this kind of work, right. or the people who have the deep pockets or the big, big operations, but don't know how to get down to the grassroots. Well, we had a couple of incidents. For example, there was a call that we were short on bulletproof vests. Okay. So there was a whole like plane load of bulletproof vests that came. Somebody told me they bought bulletproof vests on Walmart site. I don't know. I, I wouldn't not buy a bulletproof. I don't know if I buy anything on Walmart site, but a bulletproof vest. Anyway, and they all come and they're defective. So right. not only was it a tremendous amount of money wasted, but it could have been dangerous because if a soldier or a you know security guard puts on a vest that he thinks is protecting him and goes into a firefight, he, he's liable to get killed because it's not protecting him. So there were a lot of well-meaning things like that that just didn't go anywhere or went the wrong direction. You know, Eve, the, the bulletproof vests are such a good example. I actually wanted to, you know, Kosher Giving is is a, is a book that deals with a lot of very serious issues, but it's very, I wrote it in a very communicable kind of style because I want people to be able to yes. understand that it's for the reader and we're not trying to scare you or anything like that. But the bulletproof vets were this kind of like, for so many reasons, they went wrong. One, one when you say defective, there are different kinds of defective. The IDF and the Ministry of Defense, they started testing some of these and they mm-hmm. saw they actually weren't bulletproof. Then there were other ones that might have been bulletproof, but they weren't camouflaged. And so I, I really... Heard, and there were some that were I, so heavy that no one's going to wear them. I mean, if you can't move when you're wearing it, you're just not going to wear it. There, there were a lot of rejects for different yeah. reasons. I, I wanted to... And, and then there were things that just literally didn't make it or people who raised lots of funds but didn't know how to buy tens of thousands of bulletproof vets at once. Because you know what? You actually can't buy tens of thousands in Walmart. And so it's like, again, all the good intentions... The original or there were tax reasons, like you know, things showed up in Israel. Israel has customs, like every country customs, does. You can't necessarily bring in certain things without Absolutely. getting a tax. Absolutely, ready customs for were a huge issue. I spoke to an organization when well, I'll get to the koshergiving.com project in in a moment, but mm-hmm. just an organization that used to used to they've gone back to it, but they're basically they work with soldiers who have suffered from PTSD. Yes, and that's really important work. But because everybody knew that they were on the ground and working with soldiers, so they started sending them literally 400 suitcases through um, on airplanes. Those mm-hmm. 400 suitcases, they're going to get stuck at customs. So now you've got an organization that has expertise in mindfulness 
and PTSD care that has to become an expert in Israeli customs. So there's so, I mean, so many things, especially at the beginning of the war, I wanted, just as an eye-catching kind of um, thought-provoking image on the cover of the book for kosher giving, I wanted the image to be an image of a, um, of a neon-colored uh, bulletproof vest. I thought that would wow. be like, that, what, what is that? And that may, may, it might make you not want to touch that book. It might make you kind of curious, well, what, what is kosher giving all about in the first place? But mm-hmm. the first version was a hot pink colored vest, and that was not the, the, the image we were trying to. Uh, no, to no, I the didn't version see that. Yeah. was um, an orange, uh, a bright orange uh, bulletproof vest, and that looked like a, a like a light vest. Then it was bright green, and we just realized it didn't even, nobody even knows what a bulletproof vest actually looks like. So we, we moved away from that. Now the cover's just lots of big words. But mm-hmm. um, the bulletproof vest was a really, really interesting issue, and, and I, I do speak about that in the book. And and how you have to try to maneuver some of these situations. And, and for the most part, it's easier to get things wrong than it is to get them right. And that's not fundamentally, it's not wrong. It's just we can do better. Right. And we need tools as donors. We need tools to be able to do better. And so there's kind of two parts to the tools, right? The first thing is what we did at the beginning of the war, which is this koshergiving.com project. It's a, it's a web platform. It's available. And you go to koshergiving.com. And at the beginning of the war, basically through the end of 2023, every day we posted a different cause that is worthy and trustworthy. We had a team, our business, we're a business, we're, we're an advisory firm, but this, we basically went into a very strong social enterprise mode. And as a social enterprise, we spent a ridiculous amount of time on content development to post a, a different project every single day. And we weren't cutting and pasting. We were interviewing every single person that was involved. And you weren't being sponsored by anyone. No sponsorships. This, we wouldn't take right. money from an organization. Oh, you know, promote me, put me on the site. Exactly. We also right. got to pay through. You don't pay anything. We just send you to the link to the organization so you can get there. Totally volunteer on our effort. Totally, you know, just because it needed to be done. Because mm-hmm. people who wanted to give needed to know how do I even begin to look at this? And so we don't have all the answers, but we're going to go through projects, grassroots, one by one and tell you their stories. And um, that was kind of the first piece. The well, and that's why I wanted you on the show tonight, because I have a very sneaking suspicion, certainty, that a lot of my listeners were exactly the group that you're talking about, who well, love yeah. Israel, who were desperate to help in any way, and who might not have been as effective as they would have liked to been. And now that's why I want you to explain, you know, to everybody, it should never happen again, this kind of emergency situation, but we all work hard for our money. And we want to make sure that it's going to the place that we want it to go to and, you, you know, being used effectively. Right. So that, that's, the, that's the part where we kind of need, in addition to knowing what's on offer, the projects themselves, this is where we kind of, at the beginning of 2024, also shifted with the website where it's more, what are the tools, like you say, that, the donor needs to have at their fingertips to make these decisions and to look at this very, very um, broad, deep landscape of giving opportunities of causes. And so it was also, you know, at the beginning of the war, something else happened. Uh, personally, um, I had plans to write a book. I, I'm, I'm like, I guess a lot of people, I want to write a book someday, but I actually gave it some attempts over the years. Uh, but this time I said to myself, uh, just before the holiday, I said, come um, Isruchag, October 8th, the day after the holiday, I'm going to sit down and start writing a book. 
And it, I, I have a whole like plan. A New Year's resolution kind of thing. Oh, yeah. 100%. It was, right. It's called, right. the, the book that I didn't write, right? It's called 49 Timeless Lessons in Leadership. It was every single chapter is a lesson from Ooh. scripture about leadership. And it's October 8th, and we're like, we're total and complete disorientation, right? You remember, you, you can't oh, make yeah. ends or, or, or heads or tails of anything. It's just, okay, the only, I, I needed a sense of, on the one hand, again, do something positive that I wasn't doing the day before. And some sense of stability. I committed to something, I'm going to start writing. So, you know, writers, they all say, start at 4 o'clock in the morning, wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning. October 8th, I write a chapter. October 9th, wake up 4 o'clock, write a chapter. October wow. 10th, wake up 4 o'clock, write a chapter. And then I realized I am writing the wrong book. This is not the book. I, who cares if I thought before the war, you know, it's what we call October 6th. Right. Yes. The way that we thought before the war, who cares what I thought before the war? That doesn't really matter. I, I'm committed to writing a book. I need to write something that's relevant. And I had all kinds of ideas. And then it hit me one second. We were doing this koshergiving.com site and we were giving people causes. But what is what you just described, Eve? What are the tools that the donor needs to walk okay. through that process? What's the guidebook? So that was the book that I needed to write. And it's not the book I dreamed to write. And it's not the book I planned to write. It's the book that I needed to write. I was compelled to write. And that's what I did. I sat down and wrote that book. And, and it filled a very needed space at a very important time. Look, like myself personally, we're not wealthy. We give what we can. Maybe we give more than we can, but I would rather err on that side than on the other side. But because I also work with an organization that is very busy raising funds, specifically for Judea and Samaria and for other things in Israel also, it was interesting for me to read your book from the side of a donor, but for also from the side of the responsible body that is now taking that money and needs to make sure that it's going where it needs to go with the least amount of overhead and with the most amount of care, always feeling like the way that I feel, and I'm not in charge of a lot of that, but the way I always feel is that I treat donor money with more care than I would my own. 100%. And, and, and I'm not so sure that every organization does that. I know that I do that personally. Very, 100%. I, when I ran the REL Development Fund for a little more than 10 years, um, it's 100% like that. It is, and, and we're not going to speak about other people. We can speak no. about ourselves and our own, what we call fiduciary responsibility. And so we need to be able to look at that from both ends. There's the impact end of things, right? Those impact agents that I speak about in the book, which are basically the organizations and the fiduciaries and everybody along the giving chain between the giver and the beneficiary. And by the way, the, mm -hmm. the one group that the book doesn't focus on is the beneficiary, because you know what? We are not judging them. The, right. the beneficiary needs, we need to judge what the needs and the causes are as presented to us by the representative of the beneficiary. And sometimes there's a beneficiary, somebody shows up at your door and says, I need this, that happens. But most mm -hmm. of our giving today isn't like that. Most of our giving right. is today is through these impact agents. And so we need to know how to work with them. We need to know how to identify them. We need to know who we want to partner with. But it actually begins before that. It begins with actually knowing ourselves, right? We need to know what is our giving purpose. And for the most part, we tend to give what to what we're familiar with. So if my niece sends me a, a link on WhatsApp and says, support my school because right. I don't need because, guess what? I don't even read. It's your school. Good enough for you. I don't even know about yeah. the school. She says, support mine. Done. You're my niece. I trust you. Right. Here's whatever I can give you. Now, there's there's room for that. 
Okay. And then there's the, the people that we give because they're down the street and we heard about something. Not only is there room for that, but that's a fundamental principle of what we call Anie Ircha Kotmin. The people of your city come first. You actually have a responsibility to the needs that are closest to you because if you're not taking care of them, then who is? Okay. So all of that is kosher giving, but there's kosher giving that takes it up to another level. Because when you start thinking about it, if you actually look, if you're quote-unquote only tithing, and tithing can be a lot of money, but even if it's not you know, objectively a lot of money, it doesn't matter what you're earning. If you are tithing, that's a lot of money. That's 10% of everything that's coming in is going out. It's going out to a need. So that's 10% of whatever it is that you're getting. You want to be thinking about where can I make the best, the most meaningful impact? And meaningful Right, and for what it's worth, the title of the book is the full title is Kosher Giving: Four Steps to Creating Your Meaningful, Mindful, and Measurable Philanthropy Plan. Or actually, the full full title is a pre-title. It's called The Donor's Guide to War and Peace: Kosher Giving, Four Steps, etc., etc., etc. But if you mm-hmm. want your giving to be meaningful, it's not only meaningful to the person you're giving to; it has to be meaningful to you as well. That's what we talk right. about: your purpose. Who are you as a giver? What are your values? And when you look at all of the opportunities, <clears throat> pardon, that you could and perhaps should be giving to, there's a reason that you've been entrusted. I'm speaking in a metaphysical way. There's mm-hmm. a reason that you've been entrusted with those funds. If you've been entrusted with those funds and the next guy wasn't, that means that you have a certain responsibility to them as well. And uh, so yeah, there's someone I know, their wealthy family, and the daughter said to the father, listen, we didn't have a right to this wealth. The only reason that God gave us this wealth is to be able to give it away. So mm-hmm. we have the privilege to decide where it goes, but we shouldn't think like, oh, it's ours by right. And I love that attitude. Uh, I think, I think, I mean, I go through that attitude with myself and with other people in terms of any gift you were given, not just a monetary gift, the skills that you have, the brains that you have, you know, were you given a genius so that you can pick locks and be a tremendous thief? Or were you given genius so that you can, you know, maybe come up with a cure for cancer? I, you know, the gifts that God gives us, he gives us the free choice to use. And that's 100%. where it gets interesting. And if I already mentioned God, I think that there's a, the, the whole idea of philanthropy, I think has very much worked its way into, like I would guess most religions. I know Judaism has that. I know Christianity has tithing. I know that Islam has zakat also where you're supposed to give charity. Um, so did you, you know, you address that in the book, that idea of feeling like you have to give because God wants you to. You're not necessarily crazy about it, but it's, it's part of the mandate of whatever religion you are a part of. Well, Eve, it's a great question because you're hitting a uh, you're hitting a nerve. Remember when I said I had to I had to write this book and it just kind of came out and I had to do it because mm-hmm. I had to do it. It was so timely. Um, and so, what happened was, I was um, we were a couple weeks into the war, and I just said this book has to be written. I found a publisher. I found a good friend who decided to sponsor the book project. And so, great, we've got a publisher, we've got the funds available, now I've got to write a book. <laughs> so where, right. where, where am I going to get around to doing that little piece of the puzzle? And I said to the publisher, I really wanted to finish the book by the end of 2023 so that it could be released now in January, which indeed, this is, this is launch week. Uh, so it could be released by the end of January. And so, so we're actually on schedule. And she said, no problem, you need it done, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That's fine. You have two weeks to write the book. And I'm like, one second. There's, <laughs> there's, there's eight weeks to the end of 
to the end of 2023. Yeah, and you keep Shabbat, so you don't even and, have seven days in those weeks. Well, so. yeah, but there's all these different moving parts that I've never written a book before and had no idea. And I always know it takes forever for publishers, blah, 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 blah. But this was like an expedited, like a super expedited process. And even in the super expedited, I didn't realize that, you know, I wasn't going to have time to write the book. So I had two weeks to write the book and we're going back and forth. And how many words does it have to be? And she said, well, it can be really minimal. And I'm like, that's a pamphlet. It's not a book. Da, da, da. We came to an agreement and I said, okay, um, I think the book has to be more or less this size. Uh, let's meet in a week. We'll see how far along I've come. You know, I haven't gotten halfway through. And I'm so proud of myself after one week. I haven't slept. And it's, again, it's the war. And, and we're all, you know, nobody's sleeping. So it's totally normal, total adrenaline. I come at the end of the week, so proud of myself. I'm halfway through by the word count. Um, I wanted a 40,000-word book. And I was at 20,000 words. And she looks at it, and she's just like, you know what? It's great that you managed this much, but you wrote the wrong book. I'm like, one second, I already knew I was going to write the wrong book before. What do you mean I wrote the wrong book? No, no, no. This is the right topic. It's kosher giving. But this whole part one that you've written is all conceptual about kosher and about giving and about Judaism and about scripture and about tradition and about perspectives. And all of that's wonderful. But the way books sell today is if you're not incorporating that with the how-to book, then people are going to put it down very, very early on. And so you've got to write the how-to book. And I'm just like kicking myself because I'm finally, you know, it's getting out of my system and you're just, you know, birthing the book and, and I just want to do it all. And, and, and I've got to now come up with 40,000 words, not in two weeks, but in one week. So um, it, I didn't have seven days, six days, six days to do the 40,000 words. I uh, prayed for, for great speed and wisdom. I'm not sure I had a lot of wisdom. I've got good re- reviews about the book, but I did have speed and um, the book came out. Uh, I will admit, and I'll say it on radio, on podcast, um, I did steal some of my own information, some of my own work from the previous week and put it into version two of the book. You plagiarized yourself. That's yes, totally I, I it, for by myself. the way. Yeah, that's <laughs> I'm totally about giving, I'm stealing for myself, yeah. right? <laughs> but but I'll say, I will say that um, I had this whole analysis that speaks to what you were talking about before, because it's so rich. And I, and I started with, with Genesis, with Rashid, and it's so rich. The idea of righteousness and giving and stakah and the themes. And I mean, we could spend, I could write more than one volume just about um, Abraham and giving. And, and I wanted to, but I am modest enough to understand that I don't know everything. And a book is a book and a book ultimately is a product. And it has to be in a way that people will receive it well. And so I had to rework the whole thing. And, and I'm glad that I did. But there's a lot of pieces there, Eve that mm. um we could further further analyze 100 right there's much more than than what i actually was able to put into the book mm-hmm. you know many years ago when i was on, i was on the local council here in Efrat for 10 years and one of the jobs that i had i had the tikr rivacha where how do you how do we social say services. that like the social work portfolio so, social services, yeah. portfolio and one of the things that would come up with people in the town who had entered a difficult spot in their life and by the way and a lot of you know this so i'm speaking to the you know preaching to the choir it can happen to anybody you know people who were doing like really well somebody got sick and the medication cost a fortune or they couldn't work somebody got into drugs the family got divorced at any minute a plague happens right at, at any a point war. any of us a war at yeah well you're speaking to an out of work tour guide but at any point at any time you can suddenly go from a giver 
to a receiver. And mm-hmm. I took the responsibility very, very carefully, also understanding that, first of all, it was total secret. I never spoke to anybody about any of the names that came across my desk. Um, but in a way, what I was doing now, let's say they asked for a, um, a discount in their municipal tax because they, they couldn't pay their taxes, they didn't have the income. So I'm essentially using tax money. I'm giving them a break on taxes, which means that something else in the town, it, I mean, there's only a certain amount of money that the town collects in taxes. So if these people are getting a break on their taxes, there's less money coming in to the local council to be able to provide for other services. So maybe a new park won't be built. So it, it, was, it wasn't just, I mean, it would have been great to say, hey, yeah, you're off of taxes for a year. You know, you don't have to worry about it. But there was also a sense of certain people then get dependent on it. Then they just assume that, okay, I'm not going to have to pay municipal tax forever. So there was an idea here, almost a psychological idea, that you gave them a certain break, but said to them, it's for a month or two. And then we're going to revisit because you don't want people to get into the mindset that, that they're a victim and they're going to receive all the time. Because really the greatest thing is to be able to give and not to receive. We're all going to have to receive at some point in my li- in our lives for some reason, whether it's healthcare or whatever it is, we're all going to be on the receiving end because we don't all fly through life. It's a very hard position to be in and there needs to be a sensitivity, I think, to that also. I mean, that's part of philanthropy as well. Are you giving to someone who then you're enabling a situation, right? Mm-hmm where they're not going to go out to work or they're not going to figure it out on their own, or you're just kind of helping them over the hump so that they can get to a place where they can do it on their own. Right. So, you know, for all of the pieces of the book that I actually had to leave out, there was one that my publisher said, you know what, let's hold on to this one. And that was the piece about the Rambam Maimonides is, you know, well-known, basically it's a hierarchy of eight different levels of giving. And I just had to have it in there. And we were totally in agreement. We even moved into a place where it actually becomes kind of this, um, almost this pivot in the middle of the book, because after we talk about the three pillars of giving, which are those those different elements of of knowing the causes and the impact agents, of course, yourself, your purpose. So we start talking about, well, how are we going to translate that into actually building a philanthropy plan? You know, the four steps, the four steps to design, to implement, to evaluate and refine. Okay, so you actually have to know how to do all that. But before you make that transition from going from um, understanding what the giving chain looks like and where the opportunities and sometimes the pitfalls might be, then when you make that transition, you want to be able to say, one second, um, how do I make the commitment to not do, quote unquote, regular philanthropy? Or as one of the Amazon book uh, reviews that came up, Someone said that, you know, it was a term that I don't use in the book, and, and I think it would be an offensive term in the book, so I don't use it. But they, they captured what I had said and translated into saying, you know, don't do lazy philanthropy. Don't do lazy giving. Don't just give because it's convenient. Mm-hmm. Give because you've put some effort into this. You know, you run a business or you spend a lot of time worrying about how you pay whatever other expenses you have. This is not an expense. This is an investment an investment in yourself, it's an investment in your community, investment whatever you want to get more fixed, spend some time on that investment like you would any other investment. So before you make that transition, you kind of really need to get, you know, a bit of perspective, zoom out for a second, and what is it that we're building here? And how are we doing it? And the Rambam, the Maimonides with this eight-level hierarchy, it's so so relevant today, we're a thousand years later. 
people's psychology hasn't changed much. You know, the difference between reactionary or proactive giving, the difference between giving with a smile or giving reluctantly. Right. You know, these are things we deal with. Sometimes we're going to give a little bit reluctantly. That's still part of life. How do you actually give proactively? How do you anticipate what a need might be? By the way, that's mm-hmm. about, we're in 2024, right? We're at a certain point in, in this war. Even people who want to be giving to the war and to war relief and to rebuilding, let's start the, I spoke with one of the kibbutzes today. They're looking for, they're, they're already starting to think about what might it look like to go back down south to their right. community? How do they rebuild? So just like they're thinking about how to do that, the giving community needs to be thinking about, well, okay, we're not in the same degree of immediate crisis mode, but how do we go about what might we might anticipate? So this question of how to give proactively is not only true to the guy who, before he puts his hand out, you put some money in his pocket, but it's going to be the question of, you know, an entire community. These are, these are maybe not global issues, but large scale issues that have hit. And so at the top of the Rambam, Maimonides, Maimonides Pyramid, is this giving not the money, but the opportunity. Right. It's the partnership. To get someone a job. That's the highest give level. The Charities make sure get someone a job. Give person or give them mm-hmm. the loan that enables, not enables, right. the um, kind of lack of engagement. The, the victim and mentality. On their own right. Two feet. right. Give in a way that they don't even feel like you're giving because ultimately you're giving to yourself, right? When you invest in somebody, you hire somebody, you're, they're helping you on, at your business. So it really mm-hmm. is that circular economy, everything coming together. And um, again, you're, you're right, Eve, it's, it's uh, Maimonides' wisdom, which is so true to today. And, and conceptually in the book, it's designed to help us make that transition of, you know, we can actually think about um, what categories do my giving even fit in and where do I want to be? towards a more strategic perspective. Mm-hmm. And there's some people who like giving to prevent a situation. You know, 100%. like you could say security. Okay, I'm giving for security so that I prevent not just death, but people getting hurt and people being in rehab. And there's like a whole chain of things. Or do you come in at the end and do you give, you know, to the hospital or do you give to the rehab? Do you help people buy wheelchairs? And for everybody, I guess it's a really personal choice. But, you know, I remember years ago having a discussion with one of my sons because Sometimes people knock on your door and they ask for money. At least that happens here. I don't know if it happens in other parts of the world. And you don't know if they really need it or not. They show you some letter. I'm making a wedding for my daughter and we have no money. And I used to give because I would think to myself, well, if they're not being honest, it's on them. Like I did the right thing. I I did the check. I gave charity. And then one of my sons said to me, actually, no, you're wrong. In terms of Judaism, the way that he had just had a, a Torah lesson is it is actually your responsibility as the giver to make sure that the donor is deserving. And if he is not honest, it is partially on you because you should have done your due diligence. Right. I, I mean, I think in general, we we're, we tend to uh, intuitively know that in situations like that, we're not going to give our big donations there anyway, right? right? It'll be the right. smaller money. If you're, you know, whatever, whatever your big donation is to, to whatever cause, you usually end up spending more time thinking about it, although a lot of us don't necessarily give a big amount. And again, everything is relative. I'm not talking about a million dollars if you don't give a million dollars. I'm talking about, you know, if your giving is accumulates to a couple hundred dollars, then still your, you know, if you're giving $500 a year, so your $200 gift, that's your major gift for the year, but you're not going to give that to the guy who just shows up in your doorstep. Perhaps you would, I don't know. 
I think in general, we're going to intuitively stay away from something like that because we know that we have this responsibility to the money that we're giving. Right. And, and I, I think we can also make a point with our giving. For example, and I'm going to put this out there, I am really upset with International Red Cross. I have been for a long time because of the way they've treated the Israeli branch of it, which is Magenda Vida Dom. But now what they have done or not done with the Israeli hostages makes me physically ill. They haven't, they haven't made sure that they've seen them. They haven't gotten them the medication. They haven't done anything that the Red Cross is supposed to do in a situation like this. So given my limited means, there isn't a chance that I'm ever giving Red Cross a penny. Okay, right. because I think that they're, they're also it has to reflect my who I'm giving to has to reflect my values. And the Red Cross couldn't care less about Eve Harrow, and I never gave to them in the past anyway. That's not the point. Okay, that there can be certain organizations, or we're seeing now with UNRWA, for example, that the world was giving to. Is supposedly they were helping refugees, and it turns out that no, they're actually helping people who participated in gang rapes and massacres on October seventh. And you're seeing the world now reacting to that, governments reacting to that, because that those are charitable funds that were completely and utterly misused. That's not a completely, they should read kosher giving. The UN should read kosher giving, seriously. 100%, 100%. now you, you need to vet where things are going to. There's a, there's a degree that we actually can't do as individuals, right? Sometimes you go to, to a consulting firm like ours to get some help because you need to go how to go about, you know, you're, you're let's say in the United States and, and you want to, figure out your giving plan for Israel specifically, and you need some boots on the ground. So you might want to look to some people. There's a degree that you actually can't get to. And by the way, you know, other than an audit, and even with an audit, it's really hard to get to the level that you were describing to me before this this uh, recording, Eve, where, you know, if you were entrusted with a credit card for a nonprofit, <laughs> you thought 16 times before, you know, you filled up the gas for the car. Right. Because Absolutely. even though you're driving somewhere for the organization, you want to make sure that this is an organization oriented. And I'm giving the example of the guest. But, yeah, yeah. you know, even people know how to doctor up the numbers. But we're staying away from the bad guy. You know, UNRWA is um, it's just rotten to the core. Those, uh, it, it's just rotten. So th th we got to get rid of that stuff. Th the challenge is even with the good guys. How can we do better? And how can we make sure that that same giving is going to be meaningful, mindful, and measurable? And so it's a responsibility. Every responsibility we know is, of course, an opportunity as well. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of frustrating things out there. And, and part of this process is that whatever you're going to give in this giving season, and for you, giving season might be a year, it might be a holiday season, whatever it is, but your giving season that you're tackling right now with your giving plan, that's, um, that's going to be a learning process, right? This four-step mm -hmm. process is going to require evaluation and is going to require uh, refinement. You don't have to get it 100% right. This is not um, you know, a laboratory. This is, a, if, if anything, it's a social science. It's accumulated learning. It's a life journey. And that's a process that we're supposed to undergo and we're supposed to live and learn. Right. So how do people get the book? Said it's on Amazon. Um, well, koshergiving.com uh, forward slash book. That'll send you to the Amazon link. If you go to Amazon itself, and you look up Avi Zimmerman, it turns mm -hmm. out of the hundreds of thousands of products that they have there, the only Avi Zimmerman affiliated product in the entire Amazon is kosher giving. No so, way. Go figure. You'd think huh? like, there's some Avi Zimmerman <laughs> toy store out of Thailand or something, but there's not. So yeah. you got Avi, Avi we paid you for fuzzy blankets or something. I don't know. Okay. I'm surprised. It, may, it encourages me to open some additional product lines because 
I've got this monopoly. A on to Z. Head. Yeah. All yeah, there's got to be something there. Yeah, there's but, something um, there. But, but we did talk about some follow-on kosher books. We're not doing those yet. Let's just do this book, right? So you can get, go to Avi Zimmerman uh, at um, Amazon. You get to Kosher Giving. But if you go to the koshergiving.com forward slash book, you can get some additional there's supplements that you download for free. There's this journal that you download that really is, I think, uh, very helpful. To It's 64 pages, just walks you through the process. There's questions at the end of every chapter. It helps you out there. And there's also this Excel file. If you do nothing else and you just have an Excel file that does both things, it helps you with the allocations, the amounts of your giving, just track your giving over the course of the year, not just at the end of the year when you're doing your taxes, right? Look at the process, put it in. It, it's all free. It's free download, okay? Take that little file and use it. Make sure that you check, let's say, on a once a month basis. How much did you intend to give? Did you have your expansion budget? What if, heaven forbid, there's a war? How are you going to respond to that? How much more could you possibly give? Do you challenge yourself? And again, just track that giving. But don't forget, you know, there's the different tab. Don't forget, you want to make sure that your values are on that same Excel. It's not just numbers. It has to be affiliated with who you are. So these are just tools that are available to you. And um, it's part of the package. So, So enjoy. So there, there's a wonderful couple, uh, a Christian couple, actually, that I'm friendly with that has given significant amounts uh, to an Israel fund. And they use this as an educational tool as well for their children, that they explain to their kids, we are giving to Israel, we are giving to this, and we are giving to this, um, because this is our value. And, you know, and we feel that it's important and this is why we're giving it and they get feedback and they've actually turned it into like a family thing because that's what it is. Because you could have kids that would say, hey, listen, why are you giving so much charity and then it's not coming to me, right? I mean, you could, I'm sure you have that in certain families. What's with this bequest when I need a new car or whatever it is? And so that's part of the family value and the family education is, you know, we're doing this for everyone. It's not that I'm taking away from you. It's that I'm making the world a better place, which ultimately benefits you and our values and what we think God wants from us. So there's, no, there's no, so many awesome. pieces to this. Eve, I love it. I'll tell you, it's part of the book that I had to take out, but I'll, I'll give you a spoiler that you won't read in the book anyway, because this is okay. the, the stuff that never made it in, didn't make the cut because of what we described before. And then maybe one other thought about the Christians and how the Christians are connecting to, to kosher giving. So um, first, it's yes, it's, it's, it's a perfect example of what you just described, but it's actually at a deeper level. It goes back to the very first reference to tzedakah, the righteousness in the context of charity, of giving. And that goes back to Genesis when God speaks to Abraham and he tells him about the impending destruction of Sodom and Amorah, Sodom and Gomorrah. And he tells him, um, what, and, and, and this is amazing because God actually tells us the why. Remember you asked at the beginning, why do we give? Right. I, I, I could go on and on and on about this one. But we actually give largely because that's who we are. Because we are children and, and, and followers and students of Abraham. It's part of our DNA. So we actually give, because when people gave at the beginning of the war, they didn't ask themselves, why should I give? They just knew that they had to give. And they were giving sums and, and, and causes that they weren't even thinking about. They had to give. It's who they are. So in that process, God actually gives this whole explanation for why he's why he's even involving Abraham. He knows Abraham's going to fight with him about this whole thing. How, you know, God, how can you destroy this community? How can you prefer the value of justice over the value of righteousness? 
but God is saying, I know that Abraham will direct his children after him to do righteousness and justice and to follow the the word of the Lord of the Lord. Um, and um, that's how I need to teach the generations after him. Right. And to teach the generations after him is actually part of the inherent formula of what it means to be giving. Giving is beyond yourself. It's beyond your generation. So if you really want to give, you need to educate to give as well. 100%. Whatever that family is doing, they're doing something right. And uh, that's 100% the case. And then just one little point. Uh, um, I know I know, we've been on for a long time, and you and I can probably speak for a couple more hours. <laughs> I feel bad for your, for your listeners. But if you, uh, if you look at the, the book, which we just launched, um, thank God, became a, literally an overnight bestseller on Amazon. And um, it, it, the publisher puts books in three categories. So the, the categories that were right for this book were um, philanthropy and, excuse me, philanthropy management and leadership. That's category one. Category two is Christian stewardship. Category number three is Jewish life. So really interesting, kosher giving became a number one bestseller in Christian stewardship before becoming a number one bestseller in Jewish life. In fact, it's actually not yet a number one bestseller in Jewish life. There's one book that's ahead of us. Um, so we still got to get there. Hopefully we'll get okay. there. Um, it's launch week. So, you know, uh, listeners, go for it. Go, get a copy of Kosher Giving. Hopefully we'll be number one in all three categories as well. I just find it ironic that Kosher Giving hits number one with Christian stewardship before that's hitting great. number one with, yeah. with Jewish life. Um, and so there's a lot for us to do here. There's probably, um, I'm speaking with a number of people of, of some follow-on products, which are going to supplement this for kosher giving for Christians, because uh, there's so many Christians. You know, a lot of the Jewish community in the diaspora is connected with Israel in one way or another, um, oftentimes even through family or through their community organizations. Mm -hmm. th those community organizations, if their connection with Israel was weak, it's, it's been strengthened over the last several months. The Christian community, even those who are affiliated with pro-Israel organizations, they don't have the same kind of connections. And so that need to figure out what is my Israel-giving right. strategy is um, is very, uh, very present. Right. Okay. Looking forward to the sequel. Avi Zimmerman, Kosher Giving. Thank you so much for joining. This was, uh, this was a super important conversation. It's always great to talk to you anyway. Likewise, Eve. Thank you so much. All right. And thank you, as always, to my wonderful listeners, to Ben and to Tabitha for putting this show out. And uh, we should just hear good news. We should all the soldiers should come home safely and win this war, despite so many people trying to prevent us from actually winning it. And the people who were injured should recover quickly. And uh, just only good things should happen. Amen, amen, time. amen. And our prayers should be answered. Eve Harrow Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network. Thank you, everyone. Take care, everybody. And goodbye for now.